want to invite you this morning to take your Bibles and turn to the New Testament book Galatians of Galatians chapter 5. I'm going to begin reading in verse 16 in just a moment. Galatians chapter 5 and verse 16. I want to talk to you this morning about how to walk in the Spirit. I don't know about you, but um, it is disturbing when I hear about a major moral failure of a pastor or a church leader. We see what's happening in the world around us, and we can shake our heads at the way sin is actually celebrated in the world. But what should concern us is that sin is running rampant among us as well. And there seems to be no difference in the way that we conduct our lives when it comes to sin than anybody else. And there ought to be a great difference. The gospel is more than Jesus dying on a cross for your sins, carrying those sins away. And if you trust him, you can look forward to heaven because you have been forgiven for your sin. And when you die, you can know that you will go to heaven because of your faith in Christ. But the gospel is more than that. The gospel is also about a way to live. The life of eternity, the life of heaven, is not something you and I should be enjoying after we die, but that is a life we're supposed to enjoy now, and it's part of the good news. And I fear because we have neglected this that we do not understand the new life that we've been given in Christ. And so this morning, I want to talk to you very seriously about how to walk in the Spirit, because that is the heart of this new life that the gospel speaks of. And I believe as we move through this, that'll be more clear to you. So in Galatians chapter 5, verse 16, the apostle Paul says, I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh and these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, meaning this list is not exhaustive. There's more. Of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. 
And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. And so the passage begins with walk in the Spirit and concludes with the same words, walk in the Spirit. Would you pray with me? Father, would you take your word through your Spirit, help us to understand it. And I pray that the truth would come alive for someone here this morning. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I believe that as a church in North America, we are, we are getting whipped by the enemies of our soul, the world, the flesh, and the devil. This morning, I want to give particular attention to the, the idea of flesh and try to help you understand it. If that's an area that's been gray or cloudy or ambiguous to you, that you'll walk away this morning with some clarity about this. But we're getting whipped. Um, we have people who have studied the Bible for years who are teaching in our theological seminaries who are being whipped by the world, the flesh, and the devil. And so it's not uh, a matter of how much you know that makes a difference in how well you live. And so we want to understand what is missing. What is that missing element that causes us to go down in flames uh, morally over and over again as individuals or as churches? It seems that we don't really care about character anymore because we don't see character very often. We, we have just grown to expect to be disillusioned by those that we admire, people that are in leadership. There's been so much disappointment that we're hardly surprised anymore when we hear about another leader who has failed and who has fallen. And then I need to ask, what is happening in your own life? As you look at your life and the way that you're living it, not the way others perceive that you're living it, but the way that you know that you're living it, how are you doing? Can you honestly say, if we were to sit down privately, that I'm experiencing victory in my life over besetting sin. The things that have bugged me since I was a kid, since I was a teenager, since I was a young adult, I'm experiencing victory over those sins. How many of you could say that? If, if honestly you were to, to admit to yourself and say, you know, Pastor, I, I fight it, I don't want to do it, I'm resisting it, but I keep falling flat on my face, then then you and I have something to talk about this morning because I want to talk with you about why that's happening, why you keep failing, why you keep struggling in that area, and why the gospel is still good news for you. And so I want to pose this question, how can I walk in the Spirit? It's a simple question. One we used to talk about a great deal when I was younger in ministry, but very rarely do I hear us talking about it now, and, and we're paying a great price for it. How can I walk in the Spirit? I want to share with you five things. Number one, be sure you are saved. Walking in the Spirit is only something a Christian can do. A person who's not a Christian, the Holy Spirit does not live in him or her, and so you can't walk in the Spirit if you're not a Christian. A person who's not a Christian has never been born again, and that's language that's referring to a work of the Holy Spirit that changes you from the inside. Something is fundamentally different inside you after you trust Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes in, and your spirit that was cut off from God 
he comes in and renews that spirit. And now you have contact with God. And there's a new birth. And there's a, just a new change on the inside. So if you're not a Christian, we can't even talk about walking in the Spirit. So I want to share some verses with you. Galatians is one of the most concise presentations of the gospel that the Apostle Paul gives us in the New Testament. In Galatians chapter 1, verse 4, for example, he says, referring to Jesus, who gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this present evil age. He gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this present evil age. In the scripture, in Galatians 1, 4, it's talking about Christ's sacrifice. That in giving himself, he was taking our place. He gave himself for our sins, not, not to set a moral example for us of sacrifice. He gave himself as a real substitute, as a real sacrifice for our sins. He took punishment that you and I deserve and ultimately, those sins can be washed away because he stood in our place that he might deliver us from this present evil age. So Jesus didn't die on the cross so you keep on living the way that you've been living. He didn't die on the cross so you would keep falling on your face in terms of sin. He died on the cross so he could rescue you. In Galatians chapter 2, verse 16, he makes it clear that, that this salvation that you and I have, this freedom from sin, its penalty, and its power is because of faith in Christ. In Galatians 2.16, he says, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. I can try to be a good person, but no matter how much good I do, even if it was evaluated as good in the sight of God, I still have got sin that needs to be addressed. And the, and the end of the result is, is that if you read the Old Testament and you read the Ten Commandments and you read all the laws that are there, it is absolutely impossible for you in your natural state to keep that law. That's called the Old Covenant. It was a total failure. Now, the law is good. The law tells us, the heart of God tells us how to live, tells us what life is like as he intended it. But we don't have the power to keep it. We don't have the power to live that way. And so no, no man's going to be right with God, he says here in Galatians 2.16, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, how is he justified? By faith in Jesus Christ, by simply trusting Christ and receiving from Christ forgiveness, receiving from Christ that righteousness I need to stand before a holy God and simply love him and be loved. In Galatians 2.20, Paul adds further information. Not only did Jesus die for us, not, not only do we receive that salvation by faith, but in Galatians 2.20, he says something supernatural took place when he trusted Jesus. He said, I have been crucified with Christ. Now, Paul wasn't there at the crucifixion. But the moment a person trusts Christ, you become a participant in the crucifixion. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. What is Paul saying? He says, when Christ died, I died. My life is over. My life is over. I was born in 1961. I was born again in 1978. My life, according to Paul, ended in 1978. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And every Christian here can say that. And so we're afraid to die? Listen, let me tell you something. You're already dead. You already have a foot in heaven. 
You're already a citizen of that other realm where the Father rules and where he is king and where there is no sin and no sickness and no Satan. And so all that's left is to live the life that is the life of Christ. And so he lives in us. He indwells in us. And that is what makes a Christian different from any other human being on the planet. Are you a Christian? I'm not asking you if you've trusted Jesus. I'm not asking you only have you received him by faith. I'm asking you this morning, do you know that you know that you're saved because Jesus lives in you? You've got to be sure you're saved. You can't walk in the Spirit. The Spirit's not home. And so we, we need to know that he lives in us. Now, that's an awesome thought, isn't it? Is that not an incredible, mind-blowing fact that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, lives in me and in you? How can I walk in the Spirit? Be sure you're saved. Number two, grow in your love for him and rest in his love for you. I believe this is really important because sometimes we are going to feel awkward and miserable in our attempts to walk in the Spirit because we don't understand that walking in the Spirit is first and foremost a relationship with Jesus. It's not, it's not a tool. It's not a program. It's not something where I flip a switch and now I can walk over sin. It is fundamentally a relationship between me and Jesus. And so grow in your love for him and rest in his love for you. In Galatians 4, verse 4, it says, God sent forth his son. Why? That we might receive the adoption of sons. What Jesus is, he wants you to be. Jesus is a son of God. He wants you to be a son, a daughter, a child of God so that you could be adopted. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts crying, Abba, Father. And so the first thing the Holy Spirit does is he comes in and he creates in you a heart cry. A heart cry. He says it here. He says it again in Romans 8. As many as are led by the Spirit, they are the sons of God. There is this heart cry. Abba, Father, I want him. I want to know him. I want to be near him. That is nothing less than the Spirit of Jesus crying out in you. The very Son of God who loved his Father. And when the crowds grew... Jesus withdrew so he could be alone with his Father. And so the Lord Jesus, who is the Son of God, his Spirit comes in you, and that is a spirit of kinship. It is a spirit of sonship. It is a spirit that wants to know the Father. So there's a relationship that the Holy Spirit is facilitating when he comes to live in you. It is a relationship, just like Jesus had with his Father. It's a relationship of a child to the Father, and it is a love relationship. Now, as the disciples watched Jesus, they would have understood what Paul was saying. Because Jesus always was in contact with his Father. There was never a moment where he was out of fellowship or out of communion with his Father. And so in that relationship, in that contact with the Father, in that relationship with him, you have the explanation of everything Jesus said and everything Jesus did. And Jesus explained it that way. Everything that I say, it's because the Father told me to say it. Was he walking with the Father? Everything that I do, it's a work that the Father led me to do, empowered me to do. Everything he did was in complete reliance on the Father. 
and it grew out of that relationship with the Father. And so the more the crowds grew, the more people pressed on him, the more the Bible says he withdrew to be alone with his Father. That relationship was vital to him. That is the relationship that Paul's describing when he says the Holy Spirit comes in and you become a child of God and that spirit within you cries out, Daddy, Abba, Abba. Last week we looked at John 14, verse 16. Jesus is about to leave. And I don't mind repeating this to you. Jesus is about to leave. And the disciples are scared to death. They're confused. They don't understand he's leaving. We thought a kingdom was coming. And you're leaving. In John 14, verse 16, he says, Listen, guys, I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever. The Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. He didn't say, look, here's what's going to happen, guys. You're going to get together, and I'm going to inspire a few of you to write some letters, and and we're going to pull all this together in a couple hundred years, and you're going to have a Bible. And when you have that Bible, then I'm going to speak to you through that text. And he does. That's true. I'm going to speak to that text. But you know what? For the first couple hundred years, they didn't have a Bible like we have the New Testament. They didn't have it. What did they have? He says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. In other words, this relationship that we have had for three years where I go and you follow, you listen, and, and you, you do what I do, you say what I say to say, you go out on missions when I guide you and lead you, this relationship we have had is not ending when I leave you physically. It is continuing because I'm going to send my spirit. And he's been with you and he's going to be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. You know what an orphan is? An orphan has no parent. He says, you're going to have a parent. You're going to have a relationship, and it's going to continue. Last fall, we studied the, what it means to abide in Christ. And in John 15, 9, Jesus says, As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. The Father loves the Son. Is there any doubt in your mind about the incredible love the Father has for his Son? And he says, As the Father has loved me, that's the way I love you. He said, so stay there. Abide in my love. Experience my love. Know my love. Enjoy my love. And so the Christian life is not trying to be a good person so that you might get into heaven when you die. The Christian life is a relationship that begins the moment you trust Jesus. And it opens up a brand new life, a whole new life with Christ living in you. Number three, how to walk in the Spirit. Understand the battle raging within. Understand the battle raging within. Now, some of y'all, you already know there's a battle, but do you understand what's happening? You understand the battle. Galatians 5, verse 16, we read, I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. So the desires of the flesh and the Spirit are against each other. Notice that word lust in the text. It says, the walk in the Spirit, you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Verse 17 says, flesh lusts against Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. The word lust means intense craving or desire. 
And inside every Christian, you have two sets of intense cravings or desires. You have the intense cravings or desires of the flesh, and you have the intense desires of the Spirit. And they're, they're within you. Now, right away, he says they're in conflict with each other. When he talks about that they're contrary, uh, it means they're opposing. It's present tense. It's ongoing. They're constantly opposing one another. Have you ever felt that struggle inside of you? I'm not talking about on a small scale. I'm talking about on a grand scale. I know this is what God wants, and then over here, this is what I want. There's, there's this desire to go this direction, and there's another desire in me that wants to please God. There's another desire in me that wants to do my own thing, that I can do life without God. That's the flesh. These behaviors that are listed, the works of the flesh, these are the behaviors that arise from those desires when you give in to them. And there's a, that ugly list of things. The flesh is your enemy. It's one of the great three enemies, world, flesh, and the devil. It's one of the enemies of your soul. It's that part of you that wants to live like you don't have a parent, like an orphan. And all of these things are orphan behaviors. It's that part of you that is willing to and wants to live without God. It's that part of you that will not trust God, but will only trust you. It's that part of you that believes you must take care of you. It's that part of you that remains a part of you until you die. You will not eradicate it. You will not eliminate it, but you can overcome it. You can live a life of victory over sin. You need to understand why the flesh is a problem. It cannot be reformed. You cannot simply turn over a new leaf. The flesh does not give up. It does not go away that way. I believe this is the central problem in the church today. Is that too many of us do not understand how to walk in the spirit we are living by the flesh. We don't even realize that that's our problem, and we're fighting it. We're battling it. Some of us have given up and said, well, that's just the way it's going to be till I die. In Genesis chapter 6, verse 3, this is just before the flood. It says, And the Lord said, My spirit shall not strive with man forever, for he is indeed flesh, yet his day shall be 120 years. So the spirit is not inside the person, is outside the person, the spirit is is speaking to mankind, speaking to humanity, calling them to walk with God, calling them to a different kind of life. The Holy Spirit, he says, though, shall not strive with man forever, for he is indeed flesh. The Spirit's striving, but no one's listening. A couple of verses later in Genesis 6, 5, it says, Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. That's the flesh. That's without the Spirit. That's what you have. Your mind, your heart is going to be inclined to do life without God and ultimately opposing God. Well, what's God's solution? Well, God had promised in the Old Testament that one day he was going to do for his people what they couldn't do for themselves. Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 26. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will keep my judgments and do them. The old covenant doesn't work. The law is good, the law is right, but we can't keep it in the flesh. And so there's a new covenant coming, a new deal where 
God is going to come and indwell his people and accomplish through a whole new way of living what rule-keeping could never accomplish by itself. And so there's only one way to overcome the fleshly desires that are in you. It's called a walk. He says, walk in the Spirit. He gives it as a command. He gives it in the present tense, meaning to do it continuously. Walk and keep on walking. He says, if you do this, you will not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. It doesn't mean you won't feel those desires, those competing desires, but you won't fulfill them. You won't bring them to completion. You won't act on them. And so that tells me right away there is a way of victory over sin, first of all, but it also tells me that the power of the Spirit and His desires, if I give in to those desires, is infinitely more powerful than the desires of the flesh. If I will yield to Him, if I will yield to what He wants, if I will yield to His desires, I'll not fulfill those issues of the flesh. So without the Spirit, you need to know that you will live in the flesh. If you're not walking in the Spirit this morning, you may be a Christian, but you're going to fall on your face. You can deceive yourself. You can, you can tell yourself, I'm getting better and better. That's a lie. We don't get better and better. You don't improve the flesh. We can only learn how to live this new life that we've been given. You say, well, pastor, I feel inadequate. I don't feel like I have what it takes. I have failed so many times. I feel inadequate. Listen to me. I'm going to make you feel a whole lot better. You are inadequate. Now, counselors aren't supposed to tell people that, but you are inadequate. You are not enough. You don't have what it takes. So give it up. Quit. Something else very important before I leave this point is you don't walk in the Spirit by denying the flesh. There are religions, there are even versions of Christianity that teach that. The way that I get better, the way that I improve is by denying the flesh starving myself, beating myself, closing myself up away from people. But Jesus didn't live that way. Jesus didn't overcome the flesh that way. Overcoming sin is not the way to walk with Jesus. Let me say that again. Overcoming sin is not the way to walk with Jesus. Walking with Jesus is the way you overcome sin. And you and I get it backwards, and we fall into legalism. We think the way I walk with Jesus is by the, defined by the things I do and I don't do. No. Walking with Jesus is how I overcome the desires of flesh. Number four, put the Spirit in charge of your life. Some of you have never done this. You need to do this. Put the Spirit in charge of your life. Galatians 5.18, he says, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now, verse 16, he says, walk in the Spirit. In verse 18, he says, to be led by the Spirit. If you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. So whatever walking is, we're going to clarify that in a moment, whatever it means to walk, it, it necessarily involves being led. It's not a walk where I do where I want and say, God, help me. It's a walk where he is leading, and I am following. He is directing, and I am receiving those directions. He has the plan, and I am following his plan. So it implies he is leading, and you are not leading if I'm led by the Spirit. If he's leading, he's telling me what to do. He's prompting me. He's speaking to me. Uh, I may have, we use different words, a check in my spirit. We say things like that. It means there's a hesitancy, a lack of peace. 
We studied last year experiencing God. We talked about how God communicates through the Word, through prayer, through other Christians, and through our circumstances. He speaks in a variety of ways. The bottom line is, He speaks, we must obey. In John chapter 16, verse 12, Jesus said, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. He's about to leave. There's things they need to know, things they need to hear, places they need to go, things they need to know what to say and when to say it. I have many things to say to you, but you can't bear them down. However, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. So here's the picture. Christian, Holy Spirit lives inside. But the Holy Spirit, he is God. He is a person. He is a he. He is not an it. But his role is to mediate for me the lordship of Jesus Christ. The direction of Jesus in my life comes through the Holy Spirit. He doesn't speak on his authority. Whatever he has to say came from Jesus. So that prompting of the Spirit, that sense that God wants me to do something, that is from the Lord, not from my co-pilot. Let me give you an example real quick. This is a picture of Jesus leading every day. He goes out front, just like he did those three years with the disciples. He goes out front. Our task is to come, take up my cross, die to this life, surrender to him, and just follow him. I don't have to figure it all out. Just follow him. In Acts 8, chapter 29, this happened to Philip. And Philip was just led by God to this place, led by God to some other place. He was led one time out in the middle of nowhere. In Acts 8, 29, it says, Then the Spirit said to Philip, Go near and overtake this chariot. So Philip ran. He didn't walk. He ran. The Spirit said. And what happened is Jesus wanted Philip to catch up with this Ethiopian eunuch. Jesus wanted him to catch up to him. This is the guy Jesus wanted him to talk to. So what did Jesus do? He communicated that to the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit inside Philip. The Spirit said, go near and overtake this chariot. Philip understood Jesus was speaking to him through the Spirit. He comprehended that God was speaking to him, and he obeyed, and he ran. We need to do some running when God speaks. Sometimes we think God's leading us to do something. We sit back and say, I don't know about that. Listen, you and I can't be led if we're just dragging around. We need to get behind him, stay close. Lord, I love you. I want to be with you. Wherever you're going, that's where I'm going. And we got to stay close. Last thing I want to mention is this, number five, keep in step with the Spirit. Keep in step with the Spirit. Walking is the word picture that the Spirit used to inspire Paul and said, I want to describe the Christian life, and, and walking in the Spirit was how he described it. So how do you live this new life in the Spirit? Paul says it's by walking. But what's interesting here is I started the passage, verse 16, he says, walk in the Spirit. I ended the passage in verse 25 where he says, walk in the Spirit. But it's two different words for walk in the Greek language that Paul used. Now, it's significant, and I want you to understand why. When he says, walk in the Spirit, you'll not fulfill the lust of the flesh, he's saying walk in terms, and the word is peripateo, it means to walk around. Just as you do life, do life in the Spirit. Make the Holy Spirit your environment. 
He lives within you. He encompasses all the space around you. As he leads, you follow him. As you walk in the Spirit and he is your environment, you will overcome the desires of the flesh. Why? Because you're constantly yielding to what he wants. And if you're busy yielding to what he wants, you don't have time for that other. Now, that's the first word for walk. It means walk around, the lifestyle. The second word, if we live by the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit, verse 25. That word for walk is stoikeo. And it literally means to keep in step with. It's the picture of a group of soldiers marching together in lockstep. You know, people who do synchronized swimming, they understand this kind of formation deal. You, you, you do exactly what the other person's doing at exactly when they're doing it. And so he says, if we live in the Spirit, that's how we have our life. He says, let's keep in step with the Spirit. When the Spirit moves, you move. When He stops, you stop. When He goes, you go. And, and so you're, you're literally in sync with Him. Keep in step with the Spirit. So here's the mental picture. You've come to know Jesus Christ. You've trusted Him as your Lord and Savior. Because of that fact, we know that the Holy Spirit comes up to take residence inside of every Christian. And the Holy Spirit lives in you. He's given you a new life. He's given you new access to God. You have not only forgiveness, but you have the opportunity to abide in Christ, to have fellowship with Him, to have communion with Him 24-7. Waking up in the middle of the night, I love you, Lord, and He is there. Waking up in the morning, you've you get with him. You spend time alone with him. You shut yourself off away from him. Just like Jesus shut himself off away. Why? So you could act holy and religious? No. So that you can be alone with your father. That spirit in you says, Abba, Father. And you want to be with him. And so you have this communion with him, this love relationship with him. You realize he is the Lord. And this relationship you have with him is one where he has a will for your life already. He has a plan for your life already. You don't have to give him the plan you don't have to tell Jesus what you would like to do when you grow up. He already has a purpose for your life. He already has a plan. And your greatest sense of joy, your greatest sense of fulfillment will not come by you doing your own thing. Your greatest sense of joy, the abundant life that Jesus promised is this, following him in this relationship with him. Well, how does that happen? The Holy Spirit receives direction from Jesus. Jesus speaks to the Spirit. The Spirit speaks to you. You can read your Bible from cover to cover. But if you're not obeying the Holy Spirit when he speaks to you, you have not yet experienced the fullness of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The new covenant, the new life promised in the Old Testament, available to you now in this age in which you and I live. This is how he wants to deliver you from all the junk in your life. This is how he wants to accomplish radical transformation in you. This is how he wants to rescue your marriage and make you a better worker and all those kinds of stuff, sure. But we're not going to talk about how to manage being an orphan better. How to live like a person without a parent. Just here's a few helps and a few rules. We're not talking about that this morning. We're saying you're not an orphan. He lives in you. You can follow him. And so he prompts you. And, and you take a step. Now the interesting thing about step by step, when you and I walk, is in order to walk, you and I have to be off balance momentarily. Do you ever realize that? Right now, I'm perfectly balanced. But if I'm going to move over there, I'm going to have to shift my weight. And I'm going to be off balance. And so when I take a step, I'm off balance. Okay? If I'm going to take another step, I'm off balance. Holy Spirit wants to keep you off balance. 
you got to keep taking those steps. you got to keep walking with him. So when you realize what he wants you to do at a given moment in time, and you say yes to him, yes, Lord, you read something in the Scripture, you hear something taught or spoken to you, something comes to your mind as you're praying, something comes in your circumstances, and you discern that the Holy Spirit wants you to do blank. And you say, yes, Lord. And you take that step of obedience. You have begun to walk in the Spirit. And then I would say, repeat. Repeat. Keep stepping. Steps of faith. You can't walk in the Spirit without individual acts of obedience. And keep doing the next thing He shows you to do. Don't don't worry about your past. Don't worry about what happened yesterday. Don't even worry about what happened this morning. You just turn to him. So God, I'm sorry. I haven't been abiding. I haven't been fellowshipping with you. I haven't been in communion with you. Oh Lord, forgive me. I want to restore that relationship with you. What's next? And enjoy him. And just let him enjoy you.